We just give you all the glory and the praise, and we welcome you in this place. In Jesus' name. You don't have to come, but you always do. You always do. 
we just thank you. Just thank you. Thank you for choosing to be here with us. Thank you that your presence is filling this room. Stepped into my 
just a second and thank him for the things that you see and thank him for the things that you don't see because we know he's working and he's changing everything there's a shift in this room there's a shift in this atmosphere there's a shift in this county there's a shift in this state there's a shift in this country Jesus there's a shift on the earth and we thank you Jesus you are right in the center of it. Oh, we welcome you in this room. Now, actually, we're going to go in the Old Testament. We're going to look into something because today we're talking about that God is a game changer. You know, so uh, what is a game changer? What does that mean? You know, I couldn't really think of a better word for it because every time that he shows up, God has the potential to change your life, to change not like your life is a game, but he definitely can change the trajectory of your life and how things are going. And so we're going to go in the Old Testament day and talk about a lady by the name of Rahab um, because, I mean, it's a tremendous story, but I want you to see some things today that I think that God wants us to see. But first thing, we're going to go into the New Testament in uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 1, and I think we've got this for you as well up here, and talk just a little bit about the genealogy of Jesus, uh, because you'll find this lady in there. But I think it's interesting to find out a little bit. Let's dig a little deeper this morning. Can we do that? This is, the, it says in verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, and whose mother was Tamar, and uh, says uh, Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. 
right? And now where we get juicy here. Salmon, the father of, somebody help me, Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Y'all know, this, these are some heavy hitters here, right? So, because we know Boaz seen Ruth out, and he said, hmm, check that lady out. And uh, then he decided to be her redeemer, her kinsman redeemer. It's a whole other story. And Boaz, this says, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, so Rahab is not too far removed from David. I mean, what is she, the great-great-grandmother of David, I do believe, if I've got my figures right. So let's look at this woman that we find here who is in the royal lineage of Jesus. You know, you had the legal side, you had the royal side. And here she is mentioned as Rahab, and I'm sure many of y'all know her story, but just in case you don't, we want to go back and check out the background of her story now that we've kind of read that she's pretty important. So then it says in, in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, uh, we'll skip around a few verses here. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies. Here's the cuss words. Now, <coughs> Amanda says this is so speak. She tells me, I said, I, I say it one way. She says, Shaitam. Now, so today we're going to call it Shaitam. Okay? Is everybody okay? Okay, sure, you sure? Everybody's all right? Some of y'all are thinking bad about me, and some of y'all said this word yourself this week. And you're thinking it's bad that the preacher's up talking. No, this is in Scripture, okay? So they left this. They, they sent two spies from Shittim, all right? And that's not how I say it in my head, though. So he said, said, go look over the land, especially Jericho. And why was that Jericho was such a big deal? Jericho was like the, the, lead, the leading, uh, bustling metropolis. It was the place to be. And so they said, go check out Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, I have lots of questions about this that, that are not answered in Scripture. How did they know about Rahab? Who told them about Rahab? You know what I'm saying? And somebody knew about Rahab. Anyway, they went there, and there's, probably, there's more to the story than what we see. But nonetheless, verse 2, it says, The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho, <laughs> what's up with Rahab? He, said, he sent a message to Rahab. She's, come on, somebody help me. She's a prostitute. And so the men, the spies who were pretty important, decided to go stay at Rahab's house. And then the king finds out that they're there. So the king sends word to Rahab, like Rahab, I mean, like, who's in charge here? Is the king in charge or is Rahab in charge? So so the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. He says, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not where they, where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. And I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. <laughs> she, she lied big time, right? She totally lied. But how many of y'all think this might not have been her first time? I just have this feeling that Rahab had done it before and had been experienced. Because let's remember, Rahab was a prostitute. And Rahab had probably dealt with a lot of men. And Rahab had probably dealt with a lot of married men. And she had probably done a lot of lying in her time to cover up for some powerful men that if their wives found that, it would ruin their life. I'm just guessing. So she was an experienced liar. And I don't know about y'all, but it's, some of y'all may understand what that's like. 
understand what it's like to be an experienced liar. You know, and I used to do the same thing myself. And they say once you tell one lie, you got to tell another lie. And you become, before you know it, a professional liar. So she was a professional liar. Not only is she a professional prostitute, but she was a professional liar. It goes on and it talks about this deal she made with these two spies. Because the story, I'm going to pick it back up in verse 17, but I want to give you the, the gap there. And she's like, hey, we've heard about you guys. You like marched through the sea. You've done all these things. God's conquering things. He's opening up doors. And for years now, for years, the people of Jericho have talked about you and are scared of you. They're afraid that you're going to come. And so this is a big deal. And so verse 17, she says, Now the men had said to her, This oath you had made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside, no, hold on, let's stop for a second. This is a time that you're thankful that you're kin to a prostitute. I don't know if anybody ever thought about this before or not. This is the time when you're like, you see Rahab? That's my, that's my aunt. Man, I'm so glad that Rahab's my aunt. Isn't she a prostitute? Yeah, but she, I'm going to tell you, I'm sure, I'm sure glad that we got her in the family. Just because somebody does things that they shouldn't be doing does not mean that they're gutless, heartless people. It just means that they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. But the question is, why are they doing the things that they're doing? Because how many times do we stop and ask ourselves, what's the story? When I got the phone call several months ago that they had found the guy that broke into this church several years ago, that, that he had done it several years ago, and they found the guy, and he's been in Maine in prison, and then when he leaves there, he's going to Georgia because he's wanted there, and when he leaves that prison, he's going to North Carolina where he's wanted on charges there, and then South Carolina gets him. So chances are he'll never be and, and, and here was my question to the uh, police officer. I said, tell me about him. He said, why does that matter? I said, because he matters. Because he's somebody's son. Because he's somebody's grandson. Because he's somebody's brother. And there's a reason why he's chose the lifestyle that he's chose. Could care less about doors and glass windows and, and stuff that he's stolen and the Sprite that he got out of the fridge and everything else. It doesn't, that, all those things are replaceable. But this is a human being, a man with a story. I want to know him. I don't know much about him. You know, see, that's the problem. You know a lot about his issues. You know a lot about his mistakes. But when is the last time somebody said, I want to know about you? I want to know about what it is. When is the last time that a man sat down with Rahab and said, I want to know why you do what you do? What is it that you experienced in your life? But nonetheless, it goes on and it says, she, so they tell her all these things about people being in her house, that if they're out on the streets, it's on them. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. After those who are in the house with you, <coughs> their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. Now, these are some bold words being spoken by these two spies. And you know, it's interesting to me, Joshua had been a spy. Y'all remember? Joshua had been a spy with another guy named Caleb. And, and he, there was a bunch of them. Remember, they went in to spy out the promised land, and, and like 80-some percent of them came back and said, no. And, but Joshua was one that stuck to it. And Joshua, here now, God is, all these years later, rising Joshua up to be the leader. You know, there's something to be said about the person that believes and walks in faith, that God prospers them. God, God uh, uh, does great things with their life. And so here Joshua is. I wonder why Joshua didn't send 10 or 12 spies in 
Oh, could it have been because he knew what would happen because he had experienced before? Somebody? So he sent two, and the two that he sent were jam up. You know, and so they come back, they're, they're like boldly pronouncing the word of God. See, you don't go into somebody's house and say that you're going to be protected unless you are completely on board with God's plan. You know, and, and that's a big deal, but we miss that. So let's go on a little bit more. So Rahab got that established. She's a prostitute. She became the vessel of God used to not only make a way for the spies, but truly, actually, she actually made a way for the nation of Israel. So God chose a prostitute to make a way for Israel. And because she was faithful, over in Matthew, she shows up because she married a man, and they had a boy named Boaz, and Boaz picked a woman named Ruth, and they went on down the line to have some grandchildren, and one of them's name's David. So God orchestrated all the stuff, but Rahab still had the choice. And so not only did God save Rahab, saved everybody in the house with her, and I'm going to imagine that was a packed house. Wouldn't you? <laughs> I'm just saying. And so, and, and then the entire nation of Israel, but also making a way for, obviously, her family and herself. So Rahab, God took the least likely to save the more likely. Isn't that about like God? When you feel like the least likely, and there's a lot more likely people around you, you're probably the one that God's going to pick to rescue the more likely people that would be more willing and more apt to be instead of you because you're the last person, because you're a prostitute, you're the last person that anybody would ever expect that God would use, which is kind of cool in a way, right? Because, I, I mean, I've never been a prostitute before, obviously, and, uh, but um, it's nice to know that no matter what I've done in my life that God would choose me, that there would be hope for me. You know, so um, I spent, Amanda and I flew out of Las Vegas back a few years ago. Uh, we flew to Las Vegas. We rented a car. We drove up into Utah. We didn't stay in Las Vegas. We just got out of Las Vegas. And um, the only thing good from what I understand about Las Vegas is the Raiders. Uh, but other than that, um, so, uh, no, i joking. And so, uh, so we go back into Las Vegas and um, we drove all the way from up in Salt Lake City all the way down. And uh, so Amanda was tired. and she likes, she likes this time right now because she likes going to bed at 6 o'clock at night. And uh, she goes and hunkers down in the covers and reads books and stuff. And I'm like, there's too much good TV to watch on the History Channel at this point in my life. And so here we are. And so we're at this hotel. And I said, I think I'm going to go out because anybody that knows me knows I'm all about exploring. And I want to know what I'm, where's my hotel at? What's around me? I want to go out and look around. So we were staying up in the northern part of Las Vegas. I guess you call it the northern part. And apparently it's the more pr promiscuous part of Las Vegas. Um, and uh, I didn't know that. Uh, I, we got a really good deal on a hotel. Um, there was a reason why that we got this really good deal in this hotel. So I said, I'm going to go out and explore. She said, go ahead. And I said, okay. So I go hit the street, and I'm walking down the street. And about two minutes, no joke, two minutes into my walk, some guy comes up to me. He offers to sell me some drugs. And I said, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know, so he's like, are you sure? He followed me for a little ways. And I was like, man, this is, this is pretty creepy. So another minute later, <coughs> a woman comes up to me and offers to sell me herself. 
And I said, no, I, I'm good. I'm <laughs> really, I'm good. And so then a couple minutes later, another woman comes up to me offering her services to me as well. And then somebody else offered drugs. There's cops everywhere, and there's people offering me all kinds of stuff. And I literally was down there 15 minutes, and I said, I'm going to get some pizza, and I'm going back to the room. This ain't my cup of tea. You know, and partly because I was a little bit afraid, because I'm from Hampton. You know what I'm saying? We don't go out on the street and see that stuff happening. And so it's uh, uh, odd for me. But you understand that these are people. And there's a reason why they chose what they've chosen. And I like it that God would be willing to take the least likeliest of people and do the least likeliest of things. And here we are. So Rahab, according to Matthew, was the mother of Boaz. And who you may remember ended up marrying Ruth. And who Ruth was, was not of uh, Jewish descent either. And so Boaz, who became Ruth's redeemer husband, was the son of Rahab. Now, think about this for a second. And I'm going to go into, I want, I want to, I'm going to, I believe God has got something really great for you today. But I had to establish it first. Is everybody okay? You need to kind of understand a little bit what we're talking about. So, here we got Boaz, who was raised by Rahab. Rahab, who was a prostitute. And then later on, as far as we know, gave birth to Boaz, married into this, uh, this uh, culture, this, these people, God's chosen people here. And here she is married into this. And so Boaz gets the best of both worlds because Boaz gets the redeemed mother. But just because she's redeemed doesn't mean that her past is still not there. So I believe that Boaz probably heard a lot about how God's grace was sufficient to do great things in her life because of where she come from. And so here Boaz standing out in the field watching this little woman Ruth basically beg for scraps and something about her resonates with him because for whatever reason Ruth kind of reminds him of a lady named Rahab. You know what I'm saying? And then he says, I have compassion on her, so I'm going to marry this woman. And then they have a child, and then that, come on. And then you end up with David, and then later, years and years later, you end up with a man named Jesus. Look at God. Look at God do some amazing things. But I believe that how my raisin is, my, when it raised, being born and raised up, I believe that Rahab had a tremendous impact on Boaz and how he viewed people and how he looked at people and his compassion toward people because I believe that Rahab was, I believe she was very honest with him. I believe she raised him that way, but that's just me. So Boaz and Ruth gave birth to Obed, who had son named Jesse and who had son named David, and, and the rest is history. So let's jump back over to the Rahab and let's talk about her the rest of the time. Though. Let's just talk about Rahab. Let's focus on her. She's the mother of Boaz, the grandmother of Obed, great-grandmother of Jesse, and the great-great-grandmother of David, the giant slayer and the greatest king that Israel had ever known. But before that, she was the prostitute. Why was she a prostitute? I asked myself this all week long. What made her be a prostitute? I've never met a young girl who said, one day, I want to grow up and be a prostitute. I never heard a little girl say that in school. I heard little girls say all kinds of stuff. But I never heard any of them say anything about being a prostitute. What happened? What happened to Rahab? Was she molested? Was she beaten? Was she neglected? Was she, I mean, was she abused? Was she raped? Was she uh, kidnapped? Was she, I mean, did, what kind of life was, what became so desperate in her mind that she said, this is 
the way of which I'm going to make a living. And I believe that Rahab was a very caring and nurturing person, I believe, because she was willing to go out and get everybody in her family and bring them in to save their lives from this destruction. You know what I'm saying? So I believe this was a caring woman, but what happened in her life to make her want to do what she was doing? And every, <clears throat> it just puzzles me. But things happen in our life, don't they? Did you want to do the screwed up, messed up things that you did? Probably not. And then one day you were faced with those um, um, decisions and you did them because one thing led to another and one led, led to another and everything else, right? So, and we'll, we'll kind of stop there, but here's what. Every single day for the rest of my life, I figured this out. I figured this out this week. And it, I did it on Monday, and I've had to sit on this all week long, and I've thought about it, and I've went down the road, and I have screamed, and I have shouted by myself, not in a bad way, not in an angry way, in a thankful way, because I realized something this week. There is not going to be one day for the rest of my life on this earth that the devil ain't going to aggravate the snot out of me. You say, well, what are you excited about that for? I'm excited because one day, not that long back, I woke up and said, the decision that I make is the only thing that's going to make a difference in my life because Jesus has already given me the power and authority over him. So how long will I continue to be the victim of his attacks on my life? Because the power has been given to me, but the problem is, is that I continue to sit and take it and take it and take it. And the question is today for all of us is when do we stop being the victim? It ain't somebody else's fault. It ain't the boss's fault. It ain't my spouse's fault. It's me. It's my decision. And one day, sometime back, I woke up and said, hmm, self, you've been attacked every day by the devil. And every day you act like it's something shocking. Every day you act like it's something new. But here's what I figured out, that there will never be a day that he doesn't, that I don't wake up and he doesn't continue to breathe life into curses that have been over my family and in my life because of my decisions, because of others' decisions. And I said, today is the day that it stops. <coughs> I can't prevent him from doing that, but I can prevent what I decide to do with it. One day, Amanda and I looked at each other because everybody in their families have been divorced and remarried. Some of them have been divorced and married to the same guy two, three times. It's like if you didn't figure out the first time, you need help. You went back a second time, and then you went back a third time. We're crying out loud. And we looked at each other not long after we got married, and we realized the seriousness of it. And we said, I'm going to be married to you for the rest of my life. And she looked at me and said, I'm going to be married to you for the rest of my life. I'm like, you going to be my friend? Yes, I'll be your friend. Will you be my friend? Yes, I'll be your friend. Because this hogwash about, I'm just praying for the right person. There's no such thing. Listen to me. Because I can, Zig Ziglar said it, you can marry the right person and treat them wrong, and they'll be the wrong person. You can marry the wrong person and treat them right, and they'll be the right person. And so what I decided that day is I had married the one that God had brought to me, but it was still a matter of choosing every day this same woman, this same spouse, over and over and over because there was a curse on my family that God, that the devil wanted to destroy the unity of families, and he's done a daggone good job at it because somebody didn't wake up and say, today is the day. This is the day that I draw the line in the sand and I say, bring it all you want to, but he that's in me is greater 
than anything that you could throw at me. So anyway, I, I should, oh, geez. I, so all this, this, is, this has been going on in my car all week long. So, and the reason is because I'm thankful because I'm like, God, I'm not worthy of a third grandchild. I'm not worthy of six children. I'm not worthy of the house that I live in. I'm not worthy to be the pastor of this church. But God, I'm thankful that you chose this old stupid prostitute in the middle of nowhere to be a part of your plan. And so God, I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to say thank you, Jesus, to the fact that I don't have to choose the curse because the curse has been lifted. The devil, the devil is going to remind me. Is that right? He's going to remind you. How many of y'all he reminded today? He's already reminded you of the curse. Last time I talked to my dad on the phone, he, he threw out this, and he's done this before. He threw out this. This is the kind of human being. He says, you know, you married a man. I mean, 24 years at that point, I think, going on 24 years, almost 24 years at the time. 25 now. And by God, we're going to make it to daggone 100 if we live. Right? And she, she, so he says to me, and he said it before, but this time I'm, I'm 46 at the time, almost 47, and I'm, I, I just don't give a crap anymore. You know what I'm saying? So the, the good kind of don't give a crap anymore. It's good. That's the good part about getting older because you don't give a crap, and it's kind of holy. It's kind of a spiritual I don't give a crap, you know? So, it's like, mm, this kind of feels good. I wish I had this gift when I was 25. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And he said to me, and I, I don't share this out, and, and I, 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 I certainly it's the last thing I ever want to do with Amanda, but Amanda knows how I feel. He says, you know, you married her, and her mama did this wrong, and her mama did this wrong. You know the apple don't fall too far from the tree. I said, listen to me, you jerk. I've been married to this woman longer then you've been married to any woman that you've been married to. I've got Jesus in the middle of my relationship. You had man. You had religion. You had law. And law gets you nowhere because that's why Jesus had to come and fulfill the law because he knew that I couldn't burden that myself. And I said, so let me tell you something. She's not the apple that fell off that tree. She is God's design for me, for my family, for my children. And I'm going to assure you right now, you'll go to your grave watching me be married, and it'll aggravate the death out of you every single day because Satan wants to destroy what God is doing, but I'm going to get up every day, and I'm going to choose God's blessing, God's favor that Jim talked about. And it bothers the heck out of people that want to, to, want to continue with the curse. You know what I'm saying? It bothers them. And there's nothing greater than getting on somebody's nerves. Amen. That's the greatest thing. Anyway, so let's go back to this. Every single day, the devil ain't going to stop trying to keep all this crap up. Seriously. So I want to know from you today, when will enough be enough? You could well, I went to this church and it didn't work out. That preacher, he, he talked about crap. I mean, you know, that, that preacher, this preacher, that, that, that worship team, that, I went to this group and I went to this Bible study, it didn't work. I started giving and it didn't work. I started, you know, da, 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 it didn't work. Nothing worked for me. It's because every day I chose to get up and make sure that it didn't work because I'm good at cutting my own legs out from under me. And that's kind of a limitation that a lot of us have. And so the question is, is when are we going to get up and say, today is the day? 
The devil will always be fanning the flames of the curses in our life, just like Rahab. But she woke up that day, and something was different. A lot of men had come and knocked on her door before. But today, today, two men of God come and knocked on the door. And they said, can we come in and stay with you? And the other guys that had knocked on the door and said, can we come stay with you? They wanted something else. But this time, Rahab, I believe, sensed in her spirit that something was different about these guys. And she brought them in, and she made sure to rescue them. And she did what she did so good. She lied. Right? But then God used her, and God did some mighty things and showed her favor. And I, I think it's interesting to see that today Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And all we've got to do, all you've got to do is let in a lot of things. I mean, you've let, if you're like me, you've let a lot of things in through your door. You've let, let some things in your door you should have never let in your door. But today, forget about that. Today... There's one that stands at your door and knocks. And it's the one that you should let in. Because he has the power to change everything that you've let in before through that door. Every person that slept in that bed with you. Everything that you've carried with you. He has the power to come in and release you from all those things. Now here's the thing is I believe that Rahab probably had a battle. She got married. She had Boaz. She probably had these moments in her life when she thought about all these things that she did. She'd see a man, or maybe she would see something, and she would say, oh, God. She'd remember what all she did. Y'all know what that feels like, right? And you get all red-faced, and even though nobody around you knows all the stupid stuff you did, but even still, you see things, and you see your kids do things, and you're like, oh, man, golly, I did that too. That's so stupid. My brain didn't work at the time either. But here we are, all these years later, and God is extended his grace and his favor to me and everything else. And, and so, but today, Jesus stands at the door. And when this, when this wall around you falls, just like Jericho, so will the walls in your life fall that are not necessary for them to be there. So every curse will be broken. Every chain will be snapped in two when we let the Redeemer, the game changer, in through the door. You know, could today be that day? You know, you see, my, my life will keep on being the exact same as long as I keep up getting up and making the same decisions. It's not that God hasn't granted us as Christians the power to overcome. It's that we choose not to. Because for some reason, we're scared to let him in through that door. Because we know that life's going to change. And I can assure you it will because your friends are not the same friends. You're, the people around you change. Somebody sent me this message uh, two days ago, um, social media. He said, you don't know me. He said, but I, I just got a question to ask you. And I get them every week. But this one was a very unique one. He said, I've grown up in church and uh, I've seen a lot of hypocritical things. And it's hurt me. It's bothered me a lot to the point that I don't even know if I want to be in church anymore. And I feel like I can uh, ask you because you don't know me and you don't really have the ability to judge me. Things like that. He said, I want to know what your advice is. I said, well, don't be a hypocrite. I mean, you know. 
Wait a second. It was more than that. I said, well, I understand exactly where you're coming from because I can assure you that anything that you do, you're going to have hypocrites involved. It don't have to be church. It can be the parent-teacher association. You're going to have hypocrites there as well. But see, the devil fans the flame of the hypocrites in the church. And so what I told him was, what I started doing, because I read this in a book from a guy who actually was a non-Christian, and he said, basically, what a lot of us say, your vibe attracts your tribe. And so I began being more transparent about who I was. I began talking about my issues and talking about stuff that a lot of people were not comfortable talking about. Not to the full extent, but I mean at least some. And then what I found out, that the people that wanted to be like that started coming to me. It was like they were attracted to me, and I was attracted to them. And pretty soon I found myself, and I believe I can fully say this with 100% in me, that I am not surrounded by hypocrites anymore. I'm surrounded by real people that are doing the best they can not to be hypocritical. Because the hypocrite is only the one who says one thing and does another thing. But if we're talking about our weaknesses out loud, then it's pretty hard to be something other than that, other than what God does in us and through us. And for those around me that know that God does use me from time to time, they're like, I know it's God. Because I know his weaknesses. I know his issues. And so I went on to share that with him and I don't think he received it too well because apparently he really enjoys the agony of being surrounded by hypocrites, which I would say best truth be known, he was probably the biggest hypocrite of them all. And that's what I told him about myself is one day I woke up and I realized that I was the biggest hypocrite of them all. And I was passing judgment on all those that I thought was so guilty when I was the one that was guilty. And so I began to be something different. I chose to be different. And so that day, Rahab had no idea what an impact she would have. Not only did God tear down the walls in her life while he tore the walls down around her in Jericho. Isn't that funny how that all around you seems to be going to hell, but you're still, you're still standing? Isn't that something? That we sometimes look at things like everything that's going on in the world right now, and we say, God, where are you at? And God says, honey, I am right in the thick of it, baby. You know, things are going down. Yeah, things are going, things are falling, things, this is going on. But listen, I am right here. And there, has anything happened to you? Are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. Okay, God, but I'm a little worried. God, but why are you worried? And don't you think Rahab, what do you think it was like when Rahab was standing in that house and all of a sudden, and she said, hold on. Have you ever thought about it? And the little niece was over in the corner going, oh, God, Mommy, you know, and everything else. I mean, you think about all these things that just, there's things were going on, but, they were still standing. Not only did God tear down the walls, but he broke the curses for her. But he also delivered her family. That day, Rahab went from prostitute to hero. All because of God. And all because she got up that morning, answered the door, and decided to do something different with her life. And I think that's where we need to be. So the day she made that decision was the day that she changed generations to come and didn't even realize it. The day that Amanda and I looked at each other and said, we're going to stay married is the day that we change generations from us out. We have great-great-grandchildren that will do well because we chose to do what was right now in a generation that they don't even belong in, okay? And I'm not saying that just for me. What about you? Every day that you continue to let the devil have one up on you is another day that you refuse to change the next generation. You want to change your children? Change you. 
You want children that mind? Change you. You want children that do well? Change you. Change you. You make the decisions today to be that person. Today is your day. Today is the day that you tell the devil to stick it up his rear end and take it back to hell where it came from. Why don't you just stand with me and let's do that together, can we? Is that spiritual enough for anybody? Do we need to put that into King James language for anybody? Thou devil shall taketh this and stick it up your butteth and take it back to helleth where it came from. Is that clear enough? Some of y'all may be here for the first time. You may never come back. I'm sorry. I apologize. For the rest of us, we're used to it. So I want to pray for you today. Can I do that? Today's the day. How many of you believe it? Today's the day. Today is the day. God, today is the day. Today is the day, God. Today that I stand up here in this sanctuary, your sanctuary, God, your place, your residence, that you reside everywhere, but not just here, but everywhere. But God, we thank you that you are here with us today. And we stand, and not only do we proclaim it to you, because God, you already know it, but God, we're going to proclaim it to the enemy today that he could take it and stick it up his tail his pointy little tail, and he could take it back to the hell that he came from because we're not here for his games anymore. Today, I've been a victim of my own decisions. God, you've given me the power. You've given me the authority to overcome these things. And it's not easy. God, every day I get up, I try to make these decisions, and I understand it is a struggle sometimes. But God, today, there's something different because today somebody knocked on the door that can make a difference in everything that's ever happened in our life. God, as those two spies walked in, your destiny walked in, your plan walked in. Generations were changed as Rahab began to make decisions and make deals with these gentlemen. And you spared her. And not only did you spare her, but you had a plan for her. The minute they knocked on those doors, you knew the potential of Rahab that nobody else saw, including her. And then she opened the door. And God, I can't help but to think that maybe you even got up off your throne just a minute because you got so excited that Rahab actually opened the doors to two men that didn't want the same thing the other other men in her life wanted. But God, what an amazing thing that you did. And God, today we stand before you, God, as prostitutes. God, we've done our own kind of prostituting today. We sold ourselves for things before We've allowed things to come into our rooms and into our homes and through our doors that we shouldn't have allowed to come in. And so, God, we pray that we're going to let you in today. I'm not going to work the rest of my life trying to get rid of these things. God, I believe that as you come in, you're going to throw out those things that don't belong. Thank you, God, today so much.